This is Kona Bible Church. Thanks for listening. We pray that you will experience God's blessing as you consider Pastor Brian's latest message from his series, Wrestling with God, from the book of Genesis. Here in Genesis, we've been in this series called Wrestling with God, and really kind of subtitled here, uh, Will You Trust His Word? And that's such an important aspect, because when you wrestle with God, and, and, and we kind of picked that up from, from Jacob's story, right, um, which uh, Luke is so uh, poignantly uh, illustrating for us with his, bro, his hip. Uh, he's not here. Where is he? He left. He's watching a kid. He's watching a kid, probably. Um, and so, uh, but the, the aspect is beyond the physical, it, will you trust his word? Uh, and there are so many aspects of being able to go into his word and hearing a proclamation uh, that we know God intends us for, to consider for life. And yet at the surface, it's, it's a little bit challenging and difficult. Well, you never had one like today. This one is going to be one that we have to pause, question, and wonder, uh, why is this passage in here? And it gets a little graphic. So if you're a timid person and you're not used to graphic stuff in church, uh, then you can go home and watch your TV where you're bombarded with it regularly by your own choice. <laughs> like, how is it that our culture gets to do it, but the church can't, right? Like, this is the word of God, so, you know, deal with it. We're in Genesis chapter 38, and uh, you're welcome to follow along if you would like. There's uh, Bibles uh, Eddie, I don't know about this message nonsense. You didn't ask for approval of that. Sorry. There's Bibles in front of you if you'd like. <laughs> no, it was beautiful. Thank you. At that time, Judah left his brothers and stayed with an Adalamite man named Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. If you know the story and you hear that a man is interested in a Canaanite woman, what might you hum in your head Dun, dun, dun. Bad news, okay? If, if a man is interested in a Canaanite woman or a woman is interested in a Canaanite man, bad news, okay? So uh, that's part of the story that we are beginning to kind of wrap our heads around, all right? Judah acquired her as a wife and had marital relations with her. She became pregnant and had a son. Judah named him Ur. <laughs> striking me as funny right now. It didn't even strike me in the Lutheran service, but I, I gotta be yelling at Ur. How would you do? Anyhow. Have a, I could have a field day with that one. Okay. She became pregnant again and had another son whom she named Onan. Then she had yet another son whom she named Shelah. She gave birth to him in Kizib. Judah acquired a wife for Ur, his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord killed him. Now, when we read that language, there's more to the story, okay, that we don't know. But for, to condense it and to stay on with it, it shares that. But as we think about how the Lord takes life, one of the things we have to kind of remind ourselves from Genesis is the theme of God has the prerogative to judge, and that's something we may need to wrestle with, right? We saw it with the flood, 
and how he had the prerogative to judge there. We saw it with Sodom and Gomorrah and how he had the right to judge there. And here with individuals, he has the right to judge. You may need to spend some time wrestling with God, but let me give you just a little peek behind the curtain. Typically, how it works is that we make choices, <laughs> just like Adam and Eve made choices, a will apart from God that led to death. And so if we were to really examine Ur's life, if we had the backstory to Ur's life, it would probably be that he was making choices. I mean, it says that he was evil, right? When you're choosing things that don't lead to life, you're opening yourself up to the very punishment uh, of losing your life. And so uh, oftentimes the Bible will just kind of condense that to the Lord took him because he set the, the parameters. It's kind of like gravity, right? If you drop something, it's going to fall to the ground. If you make choices that lead to death, you're going to die. Now, typically it's not instantaneous, lose your breath, die. Uh, it's you won't experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Okay? This is a condensed statement, I think. Uh, of course, we, there's more to the story there, but uh, certainly, at the very least, God has the prerogative to judge. Then Judah said to Onan, have sexual relations with your brother's wife and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her so that you may raise up a descendant for your brother. You know, it dawned on me that you may need to wrestle with that a little bit. Uh, culturally speaking, we don't practice this anymore. Uh, but in order to understand Ruth, the book of Ruth, we're going to have to understand this passage right here because this plays into it. And the cultural dynamic of making sure that a family line stays alive. And so uh, it's complicated, it's complex, and to us it's very foreign, uh, but I invite you to consider this passage uh, in greater detail. We will continue. But Onan knew that the child would not be considered his, so whenever he had sexual relations with his brother's wife, he withdrew prematurely so as not to give his brother a descendant. What he did was evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord killed him too. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's house until Shelah, my son, grows up. For he thought, I don't want him to die like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. After some time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. After Judah was consoled, he left for Timnah to visit his sheep shears along with his friend Hira the Adalamite. Tamar was told, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. Those sheep shears, whew, man, in scripture, watch out for those, those sheep shears. They're a, they're a graphic bunch. <laughs> Make a note to yourself as you're reading through scripture. So she removed her widow's clothes and covered herself with a veil. She wrapped herself and sat at the entrance to Anaim, which is on the way to Timnah. She did this because she saw that she had not been given to Sheila as a wife, even though he had now grown up. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute because she had covered her face. He turned aside to her along the road and said, Come on, I want to have sex with you. He did not realize it was his daughter-in-law. She asked, What will you give me in exchange for having sex with you? He replied, I'll send you a young goat from the flock. She asked, Will you give me a pledge until you send it? He said, what pledge should I give you? She replied, your seal, your cord, and the staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and had sex with her. She became pregnant by him. 
She left immediately, removed her veil, and put on her widow's clothes. Then Judah had his friend Hira the Adalamite take a young goat to get back from the woman the items he had given in pledge. But Hira could not find her. He asked the men who were there, Where is the cult prostitute who was by, at a name by the road? But they replied, There has been no cult prostitute here. So he returned to Judah and said, I couldn't find her. Moreover, the men of the place said, There has been no cult prostitute here. Judah said, Let her keep the things for herself. Otherwise, we will appear to be dishonest. I did indeed send the young goat, but you couldn't find her. After three months, Judah was told, Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has turned to prostitution. And as a result, she has become pregnant. Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. While they were bringing her out, she sent word to her father-in-law, I am pregnant by the man to whom these belong. Then she said, Identify the one to whom the seal, cord, and staff belong. Judah recognized them and said, She is more upright than I am, because I wouldn't give her to Sheila, my son. He did not have sexual relations with her again. When it was time for her to give birth, there were twins in her womb. While she was giving birth, one child put out his hand, and the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But then he drew back his hand, and his brother came out before him. She said, How, how you have broken out of the womb. So he was named Perez. Afterward, his brother came out, the one who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and he was named Zerah. Uh, did you think you were going to get this today, Bill, when you showed up? Oh, this is why you come to Kona Bible Church. You never know what you're going to get. You know what the real beauty is? Reading this to the Lutheran crowd. <laughs> Average age 77. Thank you very much. And uh, when we do the reading of the word, we end with uh, a response, the word of the Lord, and then the, the crowd says, praise to you, O Christ. And, uh, well, sometimes that, that response is a little weaker than others. And uh, I can understand if this passage was a little weaker than others on the surface, but hopefully today we will dive in and we'll be able to see why this passage is here. Again, that's one of the things that we need to commit to when we're reading through Scripture, is to recognize that these are divinely chosen passages that are for our benefit, the, the benefit of two faith communities. One is the, the community of Israel, and the other is the community of the church. And when you think about Genesis, you think about this is the first book in the law, but it really serves as the book of illustrations to the rest of the law. So when you think of Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, the specific laws that are coming in are often referenced back by illustration to the book of Genesis. Furthermore, when you move past uh, the Torah and you get into Joshua, Joshua is kind of an account of the, the people of God, this Israel community, going in and taking hold of the land. And then we have Judges, which we preached a couple years ago, and, and our tagline for Judges is, what could have been? Because Judges is a book about how the community of faith did not live according to the law uh, as well as they could have, and it spiraled down and out of control. Uh, and followed then by Ruth, a book who uh, pre, uh, is during that, that time of the Judges, and really kind of goes to express, this is what might have been. Uh, and it's a beautiful recollection of seeing when people do honor the law, 
and, and come to it as a guide that leads to life, how life actually does get, uh, goes that way. And so, uh, in particular, that's, that's such a fascinating thing to, to see some of the connections with Ruth, uh, because there's this theme of the kinsman redeemer, which then applies to Jesus himself. Uh, and so, if any of that, if all that sounded like a foreign language, I'm available for coffee. And I'd be happy to walk you through some of the details of that. But let's get to this passage. First thing that I would like you to consider is this uh, theme that has arisen through Genesis. And it's the way of the promise. The promise is so important. This promise to mankind and then specifically to the house of Abraham. For us, as we are made in the image of God, to go into the chaos to bring order, purpose, and life everywhere we go. That we carry this image of God in us. And that God will be certain and faithful to provide and protect us as we go into uh, the chaos. And so this promise ultimately gets extrapolated out throughout Scripture, and it comes to the person of Jesus. And so these stories here are progressing this message or the way of the promise. Now that should sound familiar, and when you compare it to the way of Jesus, it should look very similar. Because that's what happens. The way of Jesus is simply a, a, a more clear understanding of the way of the promise. But we're here in Genesis, and so we will stick with just the way of the promise for now. And what we see here is that when this promise is proclaimed to people, well, you have the opportunity either to embrace it or to forsake it. And Judah here, as we see in this passage, he forsakes God's will. And he does this in a number of different ways. The first way that he does it is he rejects the dream. That was from last week. Joseph had that dream where he said, Oh, uh, I see uh, my sheaf rising up among you and all the others bowing down to me. Then he sees uh, even the sun and the moon bowing down to him as he is raised up. Now, if we take that apart and we just think of our own siblings, can you imagine uh, Nick Uh, with his two older brothers going, you know, I had this dream, and one day you guys are going to serve me. How would that go over? Will and Justice, I think they would would laugh at him and mock him and then maybe even sell him into slavery. That's what happened to Joseph. All right, the brothers didn't appreciate this, but one of the reasons they didn't appreciate this is because they did not recognize that this dream was a revelation from God to the family. They rejected the very notion that it could be from God. And they looked at it as something as a personal affront to them. And so they rejected the dream out of hand. Uh, Ultimately, we saw that Judah was the fourth brother. And he was the one who audibleized and said, let's sell him into slavery. Uh, So Judah was the the very person who who, uh, had that architect of the slavery. So he rejects the dream. And he rejects his brother. And when we think about the way of the promise, well, it's in contrast to the way of man. And the way of man is all about oneself, building your own empire, establishing who you are. Well, that's not uh, the way of the promise. The way of the promise we looked at is all about relationships. Think about how Jesus responded when when the Pharisee came up and he said, "Uh, what's the most important law? And Jesus responded, oh, the most important is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. 
on these two laws, or essentially one law combined, it's the flip side of, a, of the same coin, hang the entire law. Now, I ask you to consider that because as you, as you think about that, what would it be like if from the very get-go you were trained as a young person to consider that the, 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 the highest value in all of your entire life was to cultivate and cherish relationships? Not, not grow your, your wealth, not grow your own empire, not somehow accumulate goods and possessions. This is what the way of man is, the way of the world, and the lies of Satan are contributing to. No, God comes back and he says, I want you to be chiefly about relationships. Do you think the world would look differently? Do you think churches would look differently if that was our highest value? I want you to, if you hear nothing else today, I want you to just let that marinate in your soul, to begin to consider the values that, that you have, whether you have articulated them for yourself or not, whether they are explicit or implicit for yourself, somewhere the choices that you make during the day, during the week, during the month, the year, during your life, demonstrates whether or not that is your highest value. Loving God and loving others. It's simple to say, but it is very complex and difficult to pull off. Judah is not doing that. He is rejecting the very way of the promise by rejecting his brother and selling him into slavery. Now imagine the hardness of his heart. Because what we hear later is that when Joseph is recounting the story, he's saying, we heard your cries when we were selling you into slavery. Imagine the, the, the heart, a calloused heart of a sibling that has known this boy since he was out of the womb. And hearing the cries of this young man being sold into slavery and him just saying, no, let's go forward with this plan. Now, I invite you to consider that there are cries of the widow and the orphan that are going on all around us. And I wonder how calloused our hearts are, whether we even hear the cry of their hearts as we drive in this community and see the amount of the homeless people that are here, the amount of people who are crying out for our attention, for our blessing into their life, and yet our calloused hearts sometimes just drive right on by. I wish you well, but I have places to be. Right? What does the scripture say when, when we do? When we wish somebody well without being able to lend a hand, it's as if we do not believe the gospel. We do not believe the way of Jesus or the, this, this way of the promise as it is stated uh, back in Genesis. No, the, what else does Judah do? He, he, he's forsaking God's will to elevate his own will. Well, he rejects marriage, marital purity. We see this in a number of different ways, right? We see the, this fact that he's willing to go out and marry a Canaanite woman. Now, he comes from an ancestry, his grandfather, his father, and his great-grandfather. They all, what did they do? They did not marry Canaanite women. No, in fact, they said, no, you have to go out of this land, go back and find a woman out of this land because you cannot be married to a woman from here because this land is characterized by evil. And you cannot be paired with somebody who is characterized by evil. But what does he do? He doesn't listen to that. He's seen the example of that. 
He knows that his uncle Esau had all kinds of problems by marrying Canaanite women and the disturbance that caused for his grandmother. No, he, he chose a will apart from his own. And, and I wonder if our culture can relate on the issue of marriage, choosing a will apart from your own. I think it does. It, I think we have chosen a will that says we can marry whoever we want to marry. It doesn't matter who we hook up with, link up with. We want our will above all else. You know, one of the greatest gifts that, that God has given, God gave me, was having parents who prayed daily for my future spouse. Uh, somehow they instilled in me the conviction to not date a non-Christian. And do you know the grief that I was spared because of that conviction? An untold amount of grief. I got into enough grief just dating Christian girls. Let alone had I dated non-Christian girls. And so to, to think about this, this rejection of marriage, marital purity or marriage purity, I mean, our culture is rampant with that. The churches are rampant with that. And he doesn't just uh, uh, do this for himself, but think about after his wife dies, even then he goes out and he engages with the prostitute. You see, he has rejected the way of the promise. This way of the promise that, that has promised I will link you up. I will give you a co-laborer, an expert is what the Hebrew has in it, an expert. Do your spouses talk about you as if you are an expert? Well, you have the biblical right to demand that. Do you really, would you really talk to your expert doctor like this? Right? You have been given an expert to go into the chaos to bring order and purpose because guess what you can't do it alone you need one another and this this microcosm this the smallest community of faith is just a picture of what the church is we need one another we have been given one another as experts in order to go into the chaos of kona to bring order purpose and life together we need one another. We need to recognize that we all are experts. And so how do we go through that? Well, Judah has, has rejected all of this. He also has just, in, in general, just rejected the way of the promise to begin with, this path. You think about a Canaanite woman. I mean, it's not as if he wouldn't have had influence over his children, but now his children are also a reflection of his own parenting. And so if Ur is called evil, guess who that's a reflection of? Yeah, dad. Right? Because what, ha what have we seen so far about the men in Scripture? They have abdicated their roles by being silent in the home. And you see it all through Scripture that the predominant feature of a child's life comes from the mother's investment. Because men have abdicated their roles. We do it all the time. But that's not what we were called to do. We were called to be empowered to use our voice not to suppress and to subject, but to lift up, to encourage. That's what we were called to do. And we should not ever abdicate that voice. Well, this is such a huge contrast with Tamar. And Tamar embraces God's will. Here's this, this woman who shows up. We don't know her heritage uh, we, she just shows and pops up on the scene without beginning. With a, it, it's amazing to see what she does. But what she has is this embrace of God's will. 
She preserves her family line. Now, we can, we can talk about the uncomfortability of a practice that we don't understand, this brother-in-law right of going, wait a minute, if the husband dies, then in order, if she has not had children, then the brother will essentially marry her in order to provide her children. Now, why would this be the case? Because for the woman in this culture, uh, life is precarious. Life is difficult. This is why we see all through Scripture, God saying repeatedly, show attention to whom? Widows and children. Because their lives are precarious without the husband who in this culture is the main provider. And so now you have the family coming over and God's kind of sovereign plan to go, wait a minute, we're not just going to let women be on their own. No, we're going to provide a means so that the brother-in-law will provide a child and that child will grow to do what? To provide and protect his mother as she ages. This is the story of Ruth and Naomi. If we don't understand this, then we'll never understand the beauty of what Boaz does as he comes alongside and he sees the value of what the law could do and the life that it may preserve. And here, Tamar is demonstrating this principle of preservation of life. It's not just from a selfish perspective so that she would somehow benefit, but it is also in recognition that there's a God who's able to raise the dead back to life. And though Ur may have been evil, that, does, that evil does not define my family. Right? No, no one parent can define a person's eternal understanding or identity for the family. And so she's saying, wait a minute, my family, and this meant we can still live on, the family can still live on if we provide a descendant for that. Well, that's, that's what Jesus does for us. He is our our kinsman redeemer. That's how he's referred to. That we, we sang this song today about how we are children of God. We are the sons and daughters of God. What well, is because he is our kinsman redeemer. He has come in and he has provided us life. He's preserved our lives so that we can experience life. Well, she, she, what else does she do? She, it's amazing. Think about the journey. Think about this chapter in general. Think about the amount of years that are going on. This is why I love to, to remind us that when you turn a page, or even, even here, it wasn't even a full page. When you're reading a page, you could be jumping decades at a time. This story unfolds over decades. In fact, we get a piece of it comes right out of uh, Joseph being sold into slavery. He was probably around 17. And Judah is probably at least 13 years older than him. So he's somewhere in the neighborhood of 30. He's probably already had a couple of these kids that we're looking at in this story. And then the story continues to unfold while Joseph is in slavery in Egypt. Because God knows that he needs Judah. He's going to use Judah, but Judah needs to learn a lesson. And so here Tamar is just patiently waiting to, to see God's provision. Uh, that's an amazing story. She just doesn't give up. And, and think about the, the journey she would have been on. For her own husband was evil and was, was, was killed for that. Then, not only that, she's willing to wait to be handed over to the brother, and then he doesn't perform, and he's killed. Then she sees the expectation that it was supposed to be given to the next child, but that doesn't happen. All this takes time. You know, before you, before you leave today, you gotta, 
you got to go out back. Because we've been waiting for this playground for the longest time. And, and, and you know, we, it took a long time just to, to get it level. Then it took a long time for the dirt to get here. And there were nine, nine piles of dirt for a couple of weeks. And guess what? Now we get to wait for the grass because the dirt has been spread. And it doesn't happen overnight. And, and, and the way of the promise never happens overnight. You always have to be willing to be patient and to wait on the Lord. And this is straight scripture right out of, out of the Psalms. Wait on the Lord. How many times does it repeat that refrain, I will wait on the Lord? Well, here Tamar is patiently waiting and demonstrating that the way of the promise is, includes this waiting on God. Well, we can say that she humbles herself, or maybe better yet, the word is that she humiliates herself. Because as she waits on the Lord and sees this rejection of Judah over and over and over to the way of the promise, withholding then his third son, understandably in some senses, if, he, if he's going to be like his brother, well, he's, he's, he's going to just end up dying as well. But Judah still failing to do the right thing, failing to follow the way of the promise, still exerting his will above God's will, keeps his youngest son away from her. And so what does she do? She humiliates herself, dresses like a prostitute to, in order to be impregnated by Judah himself. Now, when I think about that, you know who I think of? I think of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Because you think of somebody who has the love and the belief in order to overcome the pe- uh, 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 a group of people who have rejected the will of God. Right? Racist America. Rejecting the will of God. And what did he do? He didn't just write them all off and say, let's take up arms against our oppressors. No, what did he do? He humiliated himself. He led marches, peaceful marches, into situations where they would take fire hoses and unleash the force of fire hoses on on this peaceful crowd. They would take German shepherd dogs. The police, mind you, would take German shepherd dogs and allow them to attack. Now, that's not just humility. That's being humiliated. He is a doctor. He he has forgotten more about theology than many of us will ever even know, and he chose the path, the way of the promise, the way of Jesus. This is what Tamar did. She humiliated herself because she believed in the God who is able to raise the dead back to life, just like Dr. King. Because Dr. King, he, he wasn't satisfied with just black America. No, he wanted colored America. All of us. Think about the dream that he had. That one day that, that his children and the children of, of white, white people would be able to sit down and they would be able to fellowship together. It's a confidence that through his humiliation, life might come. That's a modern illustration of exactly what Tamar is doing. She had a confidence and a belief that Judah was not beyond reclamation. Now, my question to you is this. Are there any people in your life that you believe are beyond the point of reclamation? 
Because the reality is, to, to what end does Tamar follow the way of the promise? Well, there's a couple of things that, that we see. To what end does Dr. King follow the way of the promise? Well, one is the preservation of life. And that's the goal. It's the goal of the gospel. That's the good news. That we might be able to do what? Experience life eternal and life abundant. Well, to what other end? Oh, the reclamation of Judah. You see, when we understand the gospel is able to bring us alive, then what we understand is that God may then use us to be able to bring life to others. So we don't honor Tamar for the sake of Tamar being honored. We don't honor Dr. King for the sake of Dr. King. No, we honor these two because of their belief, their conviction, their commitment to the way of the promise, to the way of Christ, to be able to experience life themselves and through them to be able to dispense life to other people. And finally, what do we see? Well, she's a part of history. And, you know, the clever little preaching thing, his story, right? All you have to do is turn to Matthew. The genealogy, a genealogy dominated by male descendants has a few female descendants in it. Many of them with ignoble stories, or so they would seem, until you dive deeper and recognize these great women of faith. And Tamar is mentioned as one of the great women of faith in the line as an ancestor of the Christ. Why? Because she, like Christ, is concerned about preservation of life, about the reclamation of lost souls. This is the beauty of, of, of what we see. And, and then when we, when we jump then over to Ruth, well, here's, here's what Ruth uh, claims. In Ruth chapter 4, it says this in verse 12. After the whole story of Boaz happens, and now uh, uh, Ruth gives birth to this child for, for Naomi, this is the blessing. May your family be like the family of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, through the descendants the Lord gives to you by this young woman. You see, Judah became a, a paragon of faith. Ignoble story, confusing on the surface, but when we dive in deeper, we recognize she's a type of Christ. And so the question for us becomes, well, what path? What path do you want? Do you want this, this way of the, path, of the promise? Or do you want the way of man? Uh, guaranteed. Judah's life was characterized as, as one that led to death, very literally, and also metaphorically and spiritually, he was experiencing death. But what we're going to see is that when, when Tamar chose the way of, of the promise, the way of Jesus, the path of life, oh, not only did she experience life, but Judah gets reclaimed as well. If you want to know the story of the reclamation of Judah, well, then come back for the next couple of weeks because we will begin to see how Judah is reclaimed. Father, we share this story we, it, on both sides of this. We have been Judah. We have seen how our rejection did not lead to life. Not for us and not for those around us. And, and so, Father, may we see this example of Tamar for what it is that, that the way of the promise 
is this inviting call that, that actually takes us to the cross so that we will crucify the flesh, crucify the old man so that we might be able to be the new man who you have called us to be, the children of God that experience life and disseminate life because of who you are. We ask all these things in your son's name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.